Thank you for tuning into Healing Race. In this video, we discuss the all-Black majorette dance team started at USC that received criticism from people who think that majorette dancing, which has its roots and plays an important part at historically Black colleges and universities, shouldn't be represented at a predominantly white college. We talk about the tension that can exist between cultural sharing and cultural appropriation where people from one culture inappropriately or in an unacknowledged way adopt parts of another culture. On one hand, there is a natural tendency for culture to spread, which is important because it can bring people together across cultural divides and it shares the inspiring diversity of human cultures. On the other hand, when a part of a group's culture is strongly tied to their identity, to their historical traditions, or perhaps to some painful parts of their history, Others adopting it can feel disrespectful or even exploitative, particularly for groups who have historically been exploited. How do we navigate that tension? Let's get to that conversation now. Enjoy. You felt like her starting this this majorette dance group at USC, even if it wasn't in an HBCU, it felt appropriate to you. It felt it felt like. But I'm also not an alum of an HC, HBCU, and my friends are not alums uh, as well. So I do understand how there could be a cherishing of tradition, and especially, I mean. You go, people are, so I don't think, I, I think this university we attended doesn't have as much of an emotional experience as in other universities, mm -hmm. especially given that probably a lot of African-American students were the first to go to college. And there's even a double pride to go to an HBCU, right? Yeah. And what I, I say all of that to say that the events and the traditions are, are cherished and they're personal and they're and you, you've paid for this education. So you definitely feel a sense of personal connection and to see that sort of like taken up at a school that's not a part of the tradition and the legacy, I could see how some people would find that offensive. Uh-huh. I so personally didn't find it offensive, but I'm just looking at it naively from the perspective of just a dance troupe, like, oh, and you're trying to spread that awareness, especially when it comes to stepping and step contests, right? Mm -hmm. Things that grew out of African-American sororities and fraternities. Yeah. That's what Beyonce's homecoming was all about. Yeah, well, I guess I guess this, this brings up a larger question of the spread of culture to me. Well, and, that's like COVID. You can't stop it. <laughs> yeah. And and so well, I'm and at the same time, I'm interested in your in your thoughts on it. Um, this whole this whole conversation around appropriation. Um and I mean well, let me ask you a question. Would you consider it offensive for people? to appropriate traditions at non-Jewish schools. Right. For, I mean, there are, I mean, I know I'll know about kibbutz, but there are also Jewish educational institutions where you have your rights and traditions. For example, right. when certain pop stars want to start studying Kabbalah and <laughs> make that trendy. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say, just sue me, Madonna girl. You know, I love you. <laughs> I was watching Madonna, the documentary last night. So first of all, Mary and I have Madonna tickets. I'm so excited. 
And yeah. I'm excited because she's getting older and this may be one of the last times she tours in her life. And this yeah. is going to be like a big, big tour. Yeah. And I remember when Tina did this, Tina did that last tour and she's like, I'm going away. And then you never saw her again. And yeah. so Madonna may do something similar because Madonna will turn 65 this year. And yeah. they part in the documentary, they covered her interest in Kabbalah and surrounding herself with rabbis and teachers. And I was like, okay, she's always been critiqued for culturally appropriating things. But mm -hmm. like you just said, because we need to turn the table and ask you some more questions. But uh, like you just said, you can't stop culture. So how does that feel to see a person taking an interest in something that's mystical and so personal? And I don't know if Kabbalah is central to Jewish tenet, but it's definitely in the family, right? And how yeah. does that feel? Yeah, I mean, listen, I can understand people. So for me, it doesn't feel I, I'm, I sit in the same place I think that you sit, which is I don't have any deep sense of feeling of of protection of of Jewish heritage. Well, like you didn't feel like Madonna was like appropriating something or making it trendy. No, I mean, cool. listen, because I mean, listen. so many people started doing it and wearing the red string. Right. I think there's, I think there's valid critique of her and or even what she was learning i mean there there will be people there have been people who you know spend their lives studying kabbalah who critiqued where she even got that from right because it was there's oh, really? a center there's a center in los angeles i think there's also I've on been, robertson boulevard i've been by that center yep exactly um and and there's some people who think that's it's it's maybe watered down. I don't know mm. about the level of accuracy, but at the very least, watered down or or you know not seen in its fullest. You know the Kabbalah is not seen in its fullest. Um, you know uh, truth. Um, so and and I think that's all good. I think critique of critique of expressions of wisdom or cultural expressions. I think is 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 okay. I'm just not one to feel like, like I almost think the spread of a culture is is a, is a positive thing, right? And that's um, what I felt about the dance troupe. I'm like, she's just highlighting this wonderful tradition in the HBCUs. I don't really find this offensive. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, but there would be things that you would, I think, maybe find offensive. Um, I mean, this almost brings us back to you know, conversations around when I asked you, when I, you know, our conversation back when we were in college around cornrows, right? And I saved him from a horrible fashion choice, but a shape of his head. And also <laughs> vitriol from Black people wondering what in the world is he doing around with cornrows? <laughs> I was trying to protect you. Yeah. So what? <laughs> so what? So what? What is so so I can understand parts of the impulse. Okay. Yes. So I can understand the impulse of we were slave labor, we were owned, and there being an instinctive reaction about the taking of things and then the the commercialization mm -hmm. of it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so the the benefiting from the taking of culture when so like even in that article around the majorettes, you know, one of the points that one of the HBCU alums made was well look at all the look at all the the um the notoriety they're getting the news that they're getting there at usc like where has that been for majorettes at hbcus all of this time right yes and um that that, <clears throat> that comes from a real place 
because not all, but many notable uh, HBCUs have small endowments. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of notoriety is what brings donations, corporate sponsors, et cetera, whatever right. the university needs to bridge the financing gap. And that largely hasn't happened. Now, there's some debate as to why. I'm not getting into that. You need to talk to Marin for that because she knows all about that. Yeah, well, I mean, if you think so, if you think about the difference between Judaism and Christianity, right? Judaism is not a proselytizing religion. Um, Christianity is, and there's a sense of kind of closed, you know, closed ranks, you know, mm -hmm. in Judaism, especially in some of, you know, there are, there are sects of of, of Orthodox Judaism that don't even think that you know, converts can be Jews or certain kinds of converts yes. can be Jews mm -hmm. um, or that certain expressions of Judaism, right? There's a purity test in the sense, mm -hmm. right? And there's a, there's a fear of the watering down of Judaism as it should be, right? According to, you know, the sex of Judaism. Um, and so there's kind of a closed ranks around it. And Whereas for Christianity, there's kind of more of a spreading. Let's spread the word, right? And I tend to be more on that latter side, right? I'm not a Christian. Church, yes. Right, like, like it's 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 okay. You don't want to. You on one hand want to guard the tradition, but on the other hand, you'd like notoriety about the tradition, right? Um, like, if you want it to be out there, then it's going to be taken up by people is my yeah. basic thing, right? People like, are going to find intellectual interest in what you're doing. Exactly. And they'll want to emulate. They'll say, oh, that looks cool. I want to emulate. Mm -hmm. And that's really where I was coming from with the cornrows. It was like, I think it's cool. I mean, listen, I I bleached my hair for soccer. Um, I shaved my head one year for soccer. I did all sorts of different things when I was in high school as a way of expressing myself in different ways. This but see, as Black people, you're taking something that it almost feels as you taking something that's demode for you, so fashion, and for us that symbolizes so many other things. And, mm -hmm. and, and that's why I can see both sides of the dance troupe sort of controversy, if you will, because, you know, what's fashion for you is our lives, right? Mm -hmm. And it almost seems as though that if you're not doing things that are done in certain ways, have a lack of regard for respect for the institution. Getting to the question of motivation, yeah, like yeah. why would someone want to join a dance team? I think for Black people, we have always been, to, to say what Mr. Roland Fryer said on Coleman's show, he said, you know, Black dignity is important and Black dignity is important, it's paramount. And there have been so many instances in which things were appropriated without a regard for our dignity. I mean, blackface, right? Sort of, so blackface was an attempt for white audiences, white Hollywood producers to, in, to, to bring black people into a space, but on the terms of the audience who really didn't want to have them around anyway. So they yep. were turned into tropes, watermelon eating, you yep. know, uh, all these different things, you know, we're, don't swim, we're afraid of this, we're afraid that all these different things that have been portrayed, you know, and Al Jolson became famous for it, right? Yeah. So when it comes to people wanting to engage, even in, within our own community, we're very skeptical of, okay, what is the real motivation? Is the real motivation to take away, mm. to, to draw attention away or from the dignity? Because to those people, the HBCU, the dance teams and all of that, even the sororities and, and fraternities, those are important. 
because we created our, I mean, they're almost, not even almost, I would venture to say, they're kind of cultural to white culture because we weren't allowed. And so, and that's a part of counterculture that we very much want to preserve because so much um, great, so many great things came out of that. I mean, you have personal relationships, you have people who, you know, had a real, how would you say, like a real sense of belonging at a university where you had many, 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 many people look like them, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's almost as though when someone is, is outside of that world and trying to mimic that world, it's almost a disregard for it. I'll tell you another example. Because uh, Marin is an AKA, and there was a, I don't know where this is now. but That's a sorority. A yeah, it's an AKA, it's a sorority. Yeah. Uh, but it, there was a period in uh, the culture, probably in the mid-2000s, where gay Black men were starting analogous organizations to Black female sororities, right? Mm -hmm. And I think there was one started where they, and they started to adopt variants of, you know, various calls, colors, et cetera. And the women in many of those sororities, I'm thinking principally the AKAs and the Deltas, found that deeply insulting. Mm -hmm. uh, and many, I mean, many Black gay men were on the fence about it. Many of them didn't see what was wrong with it. I saw what was wrong with it, right? Especially when, you know, and we'll get into sisterhood in a broader show, but when the notions of sisterhood and belonging and acceptance, right, even if those have conditions around it, because the AKAs were famous for not accepting um, women who were darker than a brown paper bag, that's sort of kind of a notable thing with them. That's not the case any longer, but it was deep, deep, deep in their history. Mm -hmm. And so their level of their level of insult was really high because they're like, you're, you're basically disrespecting our traditions and the origins and, and where we come from, you know? It's different if you want to start an organization that is foundational, but you have you develop your own ways and means and things like that. You don't copy what you see. And I think it's the, the feeling of copying is what feels disrespectful. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't I don't have anything in my life that is analogous. That, that is analogous to that probably because I don't feel any strong. I'll give you another example. Yeah. <laughs> like Black people have just been exploited. So there was a period in the culture about mm, seven to 10 years ago when mm -hmm. white gay men were going around saying, I'm a strong Black woman. And I've had white gay men, because I was partying back then in the bars, say this to me, like, mm -hmm. I'm a strong Black woman. And and uh, gay men, black gay men, and uh, Latino gay men of other cultures were giving them feedback. That's offensive to black people and black. I mean, you you are this white gay man saying you're a strong black woman. And I remember having a conversation with um, my best friend Marin about it. And 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 I remember Marin saying something so poignant, so elegant. She said, "Many people want our outward characteristics that define us and." that sort of defines strength to us, but they don't want our struggle. And I remember one white gay man, you know, he said, I'm a strong black woman. Why and were I they said, saying this, by the way? Why, what? What, what was the genesis of, of saying this? Like, what were they trying to communicate? What were they trying to express in saying this? Survivorship and strength. I see, okay. But All right, it's, well, go it, ahead. But so it's, we'll in much, it's in a very, very different context. I and I said, do you know what it means to be a black woman? Since I was raised by one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> 
and to be a black woman. And I started shouting off all these statistics. I said, first of all, do you know that only about 30% of black women will ever be married in their life? Do yeah. you know which mean, what that means is there's a lot of man sharing going on in our community. And do you know, and I started just telling all these things about black women and the white guy just kind of shut up. I'm like, cause essentially when you're a strong black woman you're saying you are a black person. And many of them had no regard as to what it meant to be black. Like in the broader conversation, I said, do you know that the data has proven that black people, for example, Mr. what Mr. Fryer said, black people are more likely to experience uh, non-lethal force by the police than any other race. Now he said, very educational, I really like that interview. He said, now, when you go to the lethal use of force, there really is no statistical difference between the races. But when you look at non-lethal force, it's happening in a much more pervasive way. And Black people are 53% higher to, to experience non-lethal force, even when nothing went wrong in the engagement with the officer. You were compliant or whatever. There's just that thing that needs to be, for whatever reason, people need to be aggressive toward us, right? Yeah. And when I start talking about what it means to be a Black person, we pay more in bank fees. We are less likely to get approved for mortgages. If we do get approved for mortgages, which is a gateway to wealth on for, um, you know, in this country, yeah. it's at yeah. a higher interest rate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, so when you start saying these things where you yeah. think you're, where you believe you're behaving as an ally, you're actually behaving in an insulting manner, right? Because mm -hmm. you're saying something glibly or blithely without any reverence for what that person has actually been through or currently going through. I'm yeah. keen on this being a self-identified gay man. Well, I do, I am gay, I like dudes and I'm marrying one, but, <laughs> but you know, I'm like, I, I'm fine for allyship, but there's just a whole other, and I was kind of, something I wanted to bring up with you. I was like, there may be people who not want to deal with us because I'm gay. And yeah. so like, just because a person is advocating for social justice in one arena, doesn't mean they advocate for social justice in all arenas, girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, listen, I can, so so in this particular example with the strong black woman, I, I can actually in, in that case understand that I mean, that's that's at the core of like, that's an identity, a black woman and a strong black woman is an identity, right? And yeah. that, that as you say, comes with a, a kind of history. Time Magazine wrote an article. Strong black woman is in reference to a kind of struggle that those strong black women had to endure and be resilient in the face of, right? And, yes. and to say that you are that identity without fully understanding it um from a white or even with fully understanding it and then saying that somehow it was equivalent i i can understand hurt feelings around that that is that is something i can understand because probably a little bit because people do that all the time with the holocaust right right people people do that all they say this you know this is like the holocaust or that's like the holocaust it's like the quintess it's the quintessential thing to say you know, to to emblemize, you know, um, persecution on the mm -hmm. on the deepest levels, right? Mm -hmm. You know, killing the wiping out of of a people, and so, um, th and they say it in ways that just are just nowhere near anything like that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so that I can understand. Now, do I get do I take offense to that when they say that? Even though my grandparents were Holocaust survivors, I actually I don't take offense to it but I understand the hurt feelings behind it when people do 
have hurt. Would your grandparents take offense to it as survivors? Would they? Um, I mean, I would have to imagine yes. Now they weren't, they weren't people who look to the outside world for validation of the struggle that they, you know, they never. Yeah, they knew what they endured. They, they, you know, I was lucky to get the stories that I did. There's so many more stories I didn't get. And they weren't the ones who were like signing up to go, you know, do interviews with Steven Spielberg to capture Mm -hmm. their stories, Mm -hmm. right? Maybe they would have. I really wish they would have. I wish I knew more of, um, even more of the stories than, than I do. But they weren't shouting from the rooftops. It's anything that was painful to to talk about, right? They mm-hmm. did, I think, in moments when they felt comfortable. It was usually at a Shabbat dinner where the three of us were talking about things. And then it would lead to something that they would share. More so my grandfather than my grandmother. Because my grandmother really kept things deep inside. And it was only in very rare moments that she would open up to tell me something that had occurred but um but that's so that's probably a little bit why but yeah i mean i think i think it would be natural human behavior to if they saw anyone comparing what they endured to something so much more i don't want to take away from people's hurts and we shouldn't get in this this shouting match of like this 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 competition of who hurt more Mm -hmm. but you know issues you know, I talk to I talk to Indy all the time. She goes, you know, she has, you know, gets really upset about small things, right? And then I have to tell her, okay, let me show you stories. Let me show you stories of people who who struggle. And it's not that I want to take away from her sense of hurt in the moment, and I want to know what what frustrated you, what upset you, and I want to honor her feeling. But I also want her to have a sense of context of. There are small, small things in life. There are smaller things and there are bigger things and bigger. Th- and there are really tough things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, most of the time, the people who are experiencing the really tough things are not the ones complaining because they had to endure it. My grandparents did not complain about their past. Never once did I, did they express emotion? Of course they did. But did they ever like complain about the life they were given? Never. Not once in all of our conversations did they say anything. So, you know, I try to give her context. So in the same vein, someone who is comparing whatever, whatever, you know, difficulties they're experiencing socially for whoever they are, or whatever may have ha- event may have happened to the Holocaust. Um, I think they probably if they ever heard that would have been hurt, which is why I can understand in in this in this example um, of the strong black woman, why that would be hurtful um, for for black women. I'm wondering what the connection is to something like a like a cultural expression like cornrows. That's what I I really that's what I really don't understand because if I were to if I were to have gotten cornrows, it would have been. I mean, it wouldn't have been a blackface. It wouldn't have been I'm trying to be derogatory to black people and make fun of them by wearing this. Um, yeah, but how is a person on the street supposed to know that? So my question to you is, what would what would be the motivation? Why would you even want? Because there are other ways to be an ally, for lack of a better term in my mind right now, than adopting a hairstyle, right? So what would be, and I'm not saying, I'm not advocating you should or shouldn't. Well, at the time I was advocating. You were advocating not to, right. For whatever but, the motivation. Um, 
yeah. what what would what would be that motivation? Because you keep in mind the people on the street don't know you. And so to keep you from getting jumped, <laughs> you look run around here as this white child with these cornrows. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how am I supposed to take that milk? Well, well, <laughs> yeah, I don't, I well, I, I would ask the question a little bit back to you of why it, it would be taken negatively, but let me just just to, to be fair. Why would it not given the history in this country? Well, I don't maybe I don't know enough about cornrows, but let me let me just let me just share a little bit and then hear and then hear what you have to say about cornrows. Um Indy comes home on a regular basis, having seen someone's either clothes or something they did with their hair, some kind of expression and wants to emulate it. Right. She wants to experience having that kind of braid or ponytail or dress or whatever it may be. And I've experienced it as a natural response to see some way of expressing some oneself visually and, and wanting to emulate it. Um, and it's not for the purpose, you know, maybe, you know, of being an ally even. It's not to say I want to be, I want to have solidarity with black people. It's it's really like, that's a cool way to do your hair. Like, I never even thought of that. Um, I would just want to experiment and see what it would look like. Um, so it's it's just a basic kind of instinct of learning, cultural learning that that I just think happens all all the time in a variety of different ways that's what the motivation is. That's, that's where the instinct to do that is. Um, now I can understand that sometimes that might happen with certain things that are particularly cherished or have an emotional. Like henna with Indian people. Yeah. Could be. So yes. my, my thought in all of this is that because we all don't have a world uh, history book in the, in our mind, you know, you have to be, you have to have a care with those things. And there's a certain way I respect that a person may just have an interest in something because they think it's aesthetically pleasing. I totally get that. But you still have to have a care when you're dealing with something that's of a culture that you're not, right? In doing it in such in a way that's responsible. I circle, but kind of like back to Madonna, because for the Ray of Light album, she was running around with that henna all. <laughs> I like she challenges me too. I like people that challenge me. <laughs> and and she got flack for that. They're like, first of all, that's done. I, I don't, I'm not fully uh versed in it, but it's done for wedding ceremonies and it's a cherished thing that symbolizes a bride getting married. It's not done for fashion. And so for people, especially when you're dealing with colonized people, right? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and people who have been, you know basically chattel in the country you're living in, it is very, very important to ask yourself over and over again, am I doing this in a responsible way? I don't have a motivation of malevolence. And, but number one, the people on the street are not going to know that. So how can I do this in such a way that's responsible? So I don't want to say, well, you just, things are just off limits because that's just shutting people down, but it definitely has to be done in a responsible way that honors the tradition, right? To speak of cornrows, I don't know the entire history of cornrows. Yeah. I can't stand hair on my head. This is why I have this haircut right now. Mm -hmm. But what I do know is that cornrows are a symbol of Africanness, right? And we, so you have to understand something. 
We were brought here, most of us are the descendants of slaves. So we don't know our ancestral history. I only find, found out my bloodline by going to ancestry.com and it gives me some maybe tribes that I may be a part of. So we're completely disconnected from uh, a huge part of our Africanness and more so concentrated in the Americanness of that African-American identity, right? And so what that means is, but I've kind of the trend I've seen among African-American people in the, in the US is to cling to any, any learning they have about their authentic Africanness. For example, I'm 68% Nigerian. And I was like, finally, I have something to like, to cling on to like, yes, mm -hmm. I am part Nigerian. I can say that. That's been proven through a DNA test that gives me a people I can tie myself to yeah. just, just saying I'm black, you know, <laughs> what, what, what is that? And yeah. so my point is that what for you may be fashion for other people is a symbol of an identity. An identity there, quite frankly, for many African-Americans slash black people in the United States that there's, you know, they're searching for the complete picture of, you know, listening to Coleman's interview with Roland Fryer was wonderful. And it reminded me of a painting. And I was like, there's so many aspects of being Black and African-American in the United States where the painting isn't filled in quite yet. And it's usually those African parts. We're trying to get that clarity of like, what is the complete history or in my evolution as it in, in this country? It isn't completely filled in. And so for some people, those cornrows may symbolize a part that's still patchy where we're still filling in. Like I said, I just learned that I'm part Nigerian. Now that stands to reason, given where, you know, it captured people were taken from and enslaved persons were sold. It stands to reason probably many African-Americans slash Black people in the United States are part Nigerian. But before that DNA test, just to give me a makeup of my ancestry, all of that was completely patchy to me. Mm -hmm. So what is the feeling? So understanding that and understanding that, so so understanding that feeling of disconnection and desire for greater connection to one's ancestry. And, and then the idea that for some people, cornrows, for instance, is a specific way of presenting yourself might be connected to that identity. What what is the feeling? And what is behind the feeling with all of that? If someone sees someone of another race, if a black person sees a person of another race with cornrows, what what is upsetting about that? Given what you just described, what's the reaction? I can't speak for other people, but I can speak for me. Okay. And for me, what's upsetting wholeheartedly is that you've reduced something of significance to black people to a fashion statement, and that's insulting. Mm -hmm. And you want to know why that's and so I think because I think I really, 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 I always take things back to slavery. And as a cook, you know, like I said, um, and it because it, you know, you hear about slave times and picking cotton, picking cotton, and then just in the study of the history, and then all of that coalesced one day. Do you know what that cotton was supporting? It was supporting the European fashion industry. Mm -hmm. That's what but that's what the, all that picking cotton was doing. So mm -hmm. you were you were sporting around in all these, you know, latest in these garments of those times off the backs of slave labor. So mm -hmm. when I see you, and I'm only speaking for me, I'm not speaking for the whole black people of all the world. I'm speaking mm -hmm. for me. So when I see you reduce something that is obviously emblematic of Africanness to mm -hmm. what I feel is something that's fashion, mm -hmm. 
where we were exploited in the name of fashion mm -hmm. and in the name of food. What do you think the, the, those, those plantations in the Caribbean were sugar plantation? Mm -hmm. That was for European confections and rum. Mm -hmm. And so when I see that, I think number one, that's a white person who's disconnected to the fullness of history. Mm -hmm. And number two, you did something without really thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And also what's even what's doubly insulting is you did it without the regard of the emotional impact it could have on others in this world community. Mm -hmm. Because I don't, I mean, I do have a star of David, but I don't go around wearing that publicly mm -hmm. because I don't, because I'm not Jewish. Mm -hmm. And I don't want anyone to think that I'm blithely taking the struggles of Jewish people or even the exploitation and the isolation that was felt in all of these, in all of the centuries your people have been on the planet for yeah. granted. Yeah. I do that with a forethinking of being sensitive to your people and the history. I wear the star of David beneath my clothing out of alignment with your God, but not because I want to do anything to disrespect you or your people. Mm-hmm. So, so I think I'm getting a better sense of where it comes from. There can be two motivations behind some physical presentation or expression of who we are. There can be one that defines an identity, and people do have done this throughout time, meaning tribes in, in back in the day, they would have a certain ear pierce or a certain painting they would do or they would do there was something they would do so that you would know who's part of the group and who's not part of the group yeah and those things that were part of the group came to have some kind of symbolic meaning for that group for people in that group it binded them together in some way in in, in a in their own community yes. and then there are sometimes where we present ourselves to just express ourselves individually let's say um, it could also be cultural, but but not with any regard to an identity, right? And that's what we call what you call fashion, right? Um, and the purpose of fashion, or I wouldn't say the purpose of fashion, fashion's a form of expression, but one of the motives often behind fashion is spread. Like no one produces fashion, so, you know, very few people in in the actual fashion industry produce it to or not have it, to not have it be taken up. You yeah. want it spread. You want people buy, you know, you know, a lot of people have talked about American culture itself, like spreading around, like, you know, people want American culture <laughs> to spread around, <laughs> whether some people like it or not. Right. And so the purpose of, of, you know, identity based expression is, is to guard it. Right. And to have it be pure to those people who, for whom it, who, who identify with that. And then the purpose of fashion is to spread it. And, and I think there's, I think that's important when you're dealing in circumstances where people have suffered in the name of the identity. There's a reason that there's a law being put forth to not discriminate against people based on their hairstyles because people were being discriminated against based on their hairstyles. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, and that. Yes. And that is somewhat an expression of 
certain people's hairstyles, one, are either things that have been passed down. I mean, they're both of these things at the same time. And two, are based on the kind of hair that they have, right? Like people learn to do things with their hair based on the kind of hair that they have. And so to tell a black woman or man, you can't do this thing with your hair, which is the thing culturally you've done with your hair. And two, that fits the kind of hair that you have is is a way of excluding people, right? Um, in, in, in this case of appropriation, it's the idea of not just being able to express it, but it's also the idea of being able to control it uh, in some ways. Um, and, you know, I don't always, I will admit, I don't always understand, I, I understand better now that you've explained it as, as kind of a marker of identity, where the feelings would come from. I do understand it a lot better when you share it that way and, and the disconnect between what's a, what's a fashion choice and what might feel like an identity to somebody. Um, maybe it's just not the way, maybe I just don't have those things for myself um, that I- Or if I run around looking like a Hasidic rabbi. I yeah, mean, like, well, I mean, but I'm not, a Hasidic, I'm not a Hasidic rabbi, right? So I don't, I don't, I personally, as an, as an individual, if I saw someone with payas, payas are the uh, curly the sideburns, right? Um, if I saw someone pay us, I just would be like, oh yeah, you want to do that? That's fine. <laughs> like I, I don't, I don't have, I don't have a feeling of, I mean, Orthodox Jews are going to continue being Orthodox Jews with pay us. Like they're just going to continue to do that. Um, and whether someone else wants to do it where, where I understand more is when someone is unequally represented. So I don't really know the history but when what was it? Bo Derek had well, she had did she have cornrows? Corn yeah, when she wore cornrows and the idea that she invented that hairstyle. Well, no, not that she invented it, but that she was portrayed like that she got represented with those cornrows in ways that maybe a, you know black women were not being represented. That to me feels and like I could understand. Yeah, I, I can I can understand the hurt behind that. It's like we've been wearing cornrows forever. You don't represent us, but then a white woman wears cornrows, and now she's, I don't know, she was on some cover or whatever it was, right? Um, gets gets acclaim and notoriety or 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 at least attention because of it. That I could understand more. But the fact that she had cornrows, um, or the the kind of guarding of some side of kind of cultural expression is harder for me to understand. And uh, I see, but and I see both. Actually, I identify with the I identify with the latter more than the former. You do. You have to wonder because you have to wonder why are you trying to adopt something from a people who've been so globally persecuted? What is it like? I always harken back. What is the motivation? Mm -hmm. So we have, if we're all this, this, that, and the other, the N word and what not, what not. Well, so why are you so eager to adopt that? Are you is this some sort of inside joke against Africanness that you're just publicly? that publicly, you know, stating, right? Or is there some sort of true appreciation? You have to understand, milk, folks on the street don't know that. They don't know you. So, so you think the there's an instinct. Responsibility. So you think there's an instinct. So there could be different motivations. There could be the motivation to kind of ridicule in some way. There could be the motivation to, I don't know, steal, feel like you're stealing. There could be the motivation of just um, interest, curiosity, and um, even appreciation, right? And what you're essentially saying is- Folks there don't is, know all that. You're saying there's, because of the history, there's skepticism of the motivation so that when you see it, 
for some people in the black community, there's an instinct to go to, are they making fun of me because of this? Is this some yes, way? And I'm one of those people with that instinct. I see. I see. So there is, okay. <laughs> you wanted the show, Todd. You asked me to be myself, I'm going to be myself. <laughs> I really want this to to get out there because I think a lot of people think like you. I mean, and it's not it's not malevolent, but you're like, if I wanted cornrows or whatever, why couldn't I? Why would that would would that be offensive? And I'm only here having the conversation because, like I said, it's a legitimate question. And yeah. for me, in my perspective, I want to clear it up on, as to why some would be offended. Now, you may have your little black friend in whatever city you live in that says, OK, you know, go, you know, you know, uh, Karen, go for your cornrows. That's that person in their opinion. And they support you. And I applaud that. But yeah. you need to know that when you step out of your house into the world, not everybody is your friend and not yeah. everybody thinks is going to give you that support. Yeah. Yeah. And you felt, I mean, I guess, what was your reaction back in the day? I mean, you said, looking I back, rolled you said my it was, eyes. <laughs> let's say you, last, you said it was protection. Did you actually feel protective of me or did you feel upset that I even brought it up? Like, how did you feel when I brought up the idea of cornrows back in the day? Well, prote well protection. And then also, I, so, okay, a few things that, a few things. I know that you are your own person, so you may or you may not listen to me. Mm -hmm. And number two, protection, because you were bring, you were you were inviting a reaction that I don't think you were fully aware of. And I think you could have been communicating a message to people that may not have been your intent. And that was that was the motivation behind my counsel, because I was yeah. like, even for healing race. And I was, that's why I was saying not necessarily watch what you say, but there's a certain sort of respect that you need to bring to these very heartbreaking topics that we're about to talk about. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess at the end of the day, so let's say, okay, there's there's this issue of of identity. There's this issue of also wondering about the motivations of whether it's appreciation or making fun and ridiculing. Um, at the end of the day, let's say you as an individual saw someone in your network, a white person, with cornrows and you had some sort of reaction to it. If at the end of the day, through conversation- No white person in my network would dare come around me looking like that. <laughs> no, but listen, so, <laughs> so would, if the issue is one of skepticism, of motivation, you may still counsel them, hey, listen, out there in the world, you're gonna get blowback from some people, right? You may mm -hmm. still counsel them in that way. But let's say someone knows what their motivation is, and they know their motivation is appreciation. They saw some sort of form of expression with hair, and they're like, I really like that, and I, I want to try it, right? And you took them at their word. You knew, you knew this person, or you talked it through, and you understood they really are coming from that place. How would you then feel about it if you knew and felt confident of their motivation? How would you then same. feel about it? What's that? The same. You'd still feel the same. Why would yes. you still feel the like same? I, I appreciate your motivation, but your motivation is severely lacking the weight of history. Like because I, I feel, what about I would it? feel the same. I mean, you're lacking, especially in the case of cornrows. You're, I mean, it's almost as though, to me, it almost feels like you're mocking that, like I said, the way the ways in which Africanness and even identifying with African identity have been put down. Like I admire that this you're not coming from malevolent motivation, but 
I mean, why would it feel so, mocking to you? I'm really I struggle because I I struggle sometimes I struggle in the United States. I really really do because there's a certain thing called good taste, and just in good taste, why would you do some shit like that? So I understand that you have a you have a good motivation, but just in good taste, given the history, maybe you don't. Maybe you put your personal needs aside and err on the side of being sensitive to a people who may or may not be offended. Thank you for watching this episode of Healing Race and stay with us for a scene from our next video. If you wanna see more conversations like the one you just watched, please subscribe to our channel, share this video with friends and family and like and comment on the video below. If you'd like to be a guest on one of our episodes and have an open, real conversation about race, email us at guests at healingraceshow.com. And if there are topics you think we should cover, we'd love to hear them. So please email your ideas to topics at healingraceshow.com. As always, thanks for your support. We look forward to continuing the conversation with you. Now, here's a scene from our next Healing Race. I don't think you're saying, Todd, you can't wear cornrows because you are biased against me. I don't take you as being biased against me as a white person. I take you as saying, this is my identity. Um, and, and that being your motivation. And I just, I've never grown up around any kind of white people that have any forms of expression that they define, that define their whiteness um, in that same way putting aside a bias itself, right? Like a ballerina couldn't like, couldn't be a ballerina and look like be black, right? Um, which I know was part of- Tons of people did that. Or I know tons of people did that. I mean, That's what example. I'm saying. There's bias and then there's like the, like, like holding on to identity. And I just haven't been around that from the white perspective. I say I think, you have, I think you have, and maybe it just was not called out in the ways in which I'm calling out. And I say that because the Super Bowl is next weekend. And for some black history, this is the first time that two black quarterbacks have ever started the Super Bowl. And I remember uh, a comedian once saying when, back when Obama was president, his name was Lex, it's a black comedian, but I forget his last name. And he was saying, I remember when people questioned whether a black man could even lead a football team, let alone be the head of this nation. You know what I mean? And I think, I think, I think white men really do define leader as whiteness, as, as you know, like, like that's something that white men, when you think leadership, you think white.